Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series, The Suffering and Triumph of Jesus, today with a message called Resurrection, Regeneration, and More. So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Leonid Brezhnev was the effective ruler of the former Soviet Union from 1964 until his death in 1982. He was born after the communist revolution and never knew a time when atheism was not the state religion. He joined the Communist Party when Joseph Stalin was still president, a time period unparalleled in its cruelty. Brezhnev himself was a hardened atheist, and he ruled over a state where atheism was the law. In fact, in 1981, he even ordered the assassination of then-Pope John Paul II, an attempt that ultimately failed. But in 1982, Brezhnev died of a heart attack. He was 75 years of age. At his official state funeral, an event that was broadcast around the world, there before his open coffin stood his widow, standing motionless, staring into the lifeless face of her husband. But then, just as the soldiers came forward to close the coffin lid for the last time, in front of the watching world with the news cameras around the world trained on her, she did something that shocked everyone, and indeed, the Western news media thought her action was one of civil disobedience. So what did she do? She simply reached out her hand and made the sign of a cross on the dead chest of her husband. The cross, the very thing that he had denied, and had fought against and legislated against. Author Gary Thomas commented on that matter, and I quote, he said, there in the citadel of secular atheistic power, the wife of the man who had run it all hoped her husband was wrong. She hoped there was another life, and that life was best represented by Jesus who died on the cross, and that same Jesus might yet have mercy on her husband. Now, the reason I tell this story is because it really doesn't matter what your background or belief systems are. Hope dies hard. You know, I once knew a woman who was raised by a father who was a communist. He told her as a young girl that when you die, it's just like turning out the lights. So every night as her father put her to bed, he would turn out the lights and she would be left in total darkness, trembling in fear, awaiting the eventuality of her own death. Nothing terrified her more than than bedtime. She most horribly didn't want the lights to go out. Listen, nobody wants the lights to go out. You know, naturalists teach that human beings have no soul. You're simply an accident of evolutionary biology. You're no more than a very complex web of wiring and chemicals. And when you die, all self-consciousness, all thought, all feeling, All self-identity, the mind and the will, will be extinguished. But hope dies hard. You know, yesterday in celebration of Easter, I I found the, the first ray of hope that entered into the world that knows only death at the end of every single story. It's the one story that that didn't end in death. But what does it mean? Well, let's listen to the hope that's found in the New Testament. I'm going to start at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You know, what I've just read comes from a letter that the Apostle Paul sent to a community of Christians in the ancient city of Ephesus. 
Paul had been arguing that at one time before their conversion, they were effectively like the walking dead. Sin equals death, says Paul. You were, before you were converted to Christ, dead in sin. You were like the walking dead. You were dead to God and dead to his mercy. But because of the rich mercy of God, God united these Ephesians with Christ. That is, at their conversion, they were brought into complete union with Christ so that they were delivered from death into life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, that's quite a thought. And interestingly enough, Paul's not the only one to make this claim. Peter said the same thing, and it's recorded in 1 Peter 1 verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, most of my hearers are not surprised to hear the language of the new birth or that of being born again. But Peter explains it. You were dead, and in your conversion, you were brought to life. Now, lest all of that sound too surreal or too ephemeral or too spiritual or too mystic, let me put it into concrete, real-life terms. When Jesus rose bodily from the dead, he rose with a body that was perfectly suited for an indestructible life. And that's to say, when he rose from the dead, his body although it was the old body that rose, was a new body nonetheless. He was not subject to disease and weakness and a second death. And furthermore, his body was perfectly suited for eternity. It was also suited for intimacy with God his Father. Now, when we're born again, we don't immediately receive all the resurrection life of Jesus, and that's to say our bodies are still subject to weakness. We await at the end of the present age that all who hope in Christ will with him receive a new body just like his raised body. But for the believer, the resurrection of Jesus, according to the Bible, provides us with five immediate benefits. Since we are united with Christ in his resurrection, we have received a kind of a foretaste of the final resurrection right now, now already. I'll explain those five benefits in just a little bit, but before I do, let me provide an illustration. You know, years ago, I read an interesting article about a, a failed dieting plan, and the idea behind it was like this. If you have a craving for something that's fattening, I mean, maybe it's chocolate or ice cream or whatever, these dieting manufacturers decided that you could get that taste simply by spraying the taste on your tongue. And the idea was that the taste would be enough, and then you'd be fine. Of course, it didn't work. If you put the taste of black forest cake into a can and, and spray it onto my tongue, well, I'm going to search every bakery in the country until I get the real thing. It doesn't satisfy you. It awakens you to the desire. So think about the resurrection in exactly that way. Even while we do not yet receive new bodies when we believe, we do receive part of the benefits of the resurrection immediately. That is, something that was dead is brought to life in the believer, and that thing comes directly from the resurrection of Jesus. Or as I've said it, there are five things that once anyone believes in Christ, they are united with the resurrection of Christ in five ways. Five things spring to life in them. So what are they? Well, let's start with number one. Jesus' resurrection creates our regeneration. 
When Jesus was raised from the dead, it created in believers a new heart that was made alive by his resurrection. Let's see what the Bible says about that very thing. First, from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. There, Paul speaks of what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, make sure you understand what's being said. Paul says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in everyone who truly believes in Christ. So let's follow that line of thought and ask ourselves, what else does the Bible say about the resurrection power in the life of the believer? Well, for one, let's consider Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. There we read, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That is, every conversion sees in it both a death and a resurrection. We die to our former way of life, and this is best depicted in our baptism, immersed into the grave. But we were raised with Jesus, and this resurrection is seen in the newness of our lives. See, in context, this has to do with our gaining ever greater victory over all remaining sin in our lives. Or as Romans 6 verse 14 says, for sin will have no dominion over you. Regeneration means a change of heart. It means that prior to our conversion, we lived in a way that satisfied our own flesh, that fit easily within Satan's design for our lives. We were easily led by the prevailing cultural norms of this world. But in our new birth, our hearts, once dead to God, sprung to life. We became alive to the things of God, things prior to our new birth that just weren't there. We began to find Christ's commands to be sweet and lovely and admirable and attractive, and we began to strive towards them regardless of the cost. And that, says the Bible, is what happened to all believers. And this life is the resurrection life of Jesus. It's called regeneration. Every day we partner with radio stations across the country, like the one you're listening to right now, to air the Bible teaching programs of Back to the Bible Canada. We want to thank the faithfulness of our radio partners and remind you to thank them as well. We also want to thank our listeners from across Canada who support this ministry with your encouragement and financial contributions. Your thoughtfulness ensures Bible teaching is made available in your community and across Canada, as Back to the Bible Canada remains steadfastly committed to teaching the life-changing truths of the Bible. To our radio partners and listeners alike, thank you. This ministry of Bible teaching on radio could not be accomplished without you. To learn more about the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada and all the resources available, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. We know that when anyone believes in Christ, he or she receives the life of the resurrection a life that allows us to consider ourselves as dead to our former way of life 
and now alive to the things of God. That's the first benefit which believers receive from the resurrection. We call it regeneration. At one point in time, we were dead to the things of God, and now we're alive to them. Let's look at the second benefit, and this benefit is only mentioned once in the Bible, and it comes from Romans chapter 4, verses 23 to 25. The context of that passage is that the faith of Abraham in the First Testament, according to verse 22, was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to verses 23 to 25. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, at the basis of this passage is the grand truth that we are declared righteous by faith and by faith alone. Let me put it in easily understandable language. Our sins are removed from us, not by something that we do, but simply by faith or by trusting in that which Christ has done for us. That's called the doctrine of justification by faith. We're declared righteous in God's sight, not by our merit, but by the merit of Christ. Now, normally, when we talk that kind of language, we usually think of what the death of Christ earned for us. I mean, after all, he died for our sins, and therefore God's justice is satisfied by his suffering on the cross. So we might expect the passage to say that that our Lord was crucified for our justification. But instead, the passage says our Lord was raised for our justification. And so how does the resurrection of Jesus earn for us our justification? Well, let's take it one step at a time. We know that Christ's resurrection from the dead vindicated Christ's suffering on the cross. When the Father raised his Son from the dead, the Father was saying, I approve of what my Son did on the cross. I am glorified by his suffering. I view his suffering as sufficient payment for all the sins of those whom I have chosen. The resurrection is God's smile of approval on his Son. Now, when we come to confess our sins and throw ourselves on the mercy of Christ, trusting in everything that Christ has done for us on his cross, well, then the resurrection of Jesus demonstrates for us that the Father approves of us who believe. The resurrection proves to us that our faith in Christ is not misplaced, that God has accepted us. And so we can say that Christ really was raised for our justification. That is, his resurrection provides us with all the proof that we will ever need, that God has accepted us into his family, that he's welcomed us as his own, that that our sins no longer count against us, that Christ's payment for our sins is accepted. Now, think about what the resurrection provides for you. First, it gives you a new heart, a down payment of the life to come. It's already alive in you. Second, it's irrefutable proof that your sins really are forgiven. And now third, the resurrection of Jesus motivates our obedience. See, on the one hand, the new heart that we've received from the resurrection makes us able to obey, but the very thought of the resurrection motivates us to obey. So imagine, if you will, a football team. Maybe it's the the Grey Cup game or the American Super Bowl. All their training, all their skill has put them into the final game. But what motivates them? 
Well, we might think of the cup or the glory after the game or the fact that their name will forever be engraved as one of the champions. The fact that since childhood, this is the very thing that they dreamt about. See, all of that is called motivation. So what motivates our obedience to Jesus? Yeah, we have a new heart so that we now love the things of God over all other things. But day by day, what is it that motivates us? You know, 1 Corinthians 15 is a great passage which speaks about not just Christ's resurrection, but ours as well. And Paul tells us that the mortal body must put on immortality. And then having discussed both Christ's resurrection and ours, notice how he ends that glorious chapter. I'm reading now 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And that's it, isn't it? There is an eternal significance to every single act of obedience, to every sacrifice we endure, to every insult we ignore, to all revenge that we simply will not take. All of this matters, not just for the moment. It never stops mattering. See, for that reason, Paul mentions three important words. The first is steadfast. You know, it speaks of someone who can be counted on to act in the same way every time. The second is the word immovable. It means that contemporary circumstances don't actually move us. And the third is abounding. We don't just do what's required. We look to go far beyond what's required, always seeking new avenues that will please our Lord. And why is that? Because all of this never stops mattering. The resurrection of Jesus has ensured us of the eternal significance of the choices we make now. Wow. You know, I've spoken of three benefits of the resurrection. Regeneration, justification, and motivation. But I'm still not done. A fourth benefit of the resurrection is that the resurrection encourages us. Think about my Super Bowl example again. You know, there's the training and then there's the motivation. But then once the game is engaged, the cheering of the crowd, well, that's encouragement to keep going when we might forget our motivation. So listen to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's something about the thinking of a follower of Jesus that never takes his or her eyes off of the glory that is about to be revealed. Set your mind on things above, says Paul. Never stop thinking about the glories of the resurrection. Think about the reward that your Savior received as he sat down beside the majesty of heaven and think, your life is hidden in God. One day, you will appear with him in glory, and that day is not that far from now. I remember the first time my wife and I traveled to Israel. It was for us a dream that we had for many years. We never thought that we'd ever be able to afford it, but now for a, for a whole awful lot of reasons, both the money came together along with the time to do it. And as the days of our trip were drawing closer, our anticipation was growing. So we did a lot of hiking through the neighborhood, and we thought we would hike more than we actually did when we got there, but we thought we wanted to be in shape, and perhaps we would do some hiking along the trails where our Savior had walked. 
And then there were the decisions about how much we should pack. And, and then we read up on every site we would visit. I mean, on and on it went. The anticipation was building. And after a while, I could tell you how many sleeps we had before we were going to go. You see, Israel was not a concept, as in, wouldn't it be nice to go there one day? No, no, it was nothing like that. It wasn't pie in the sky by and by. It was, well, let's anticipate so that we can get the most out of it. And the resurrection has provided that in believers. We're setting our minds on things above because in just a little while, we're going to be there. Already we have received the new life of Christ. And now all that's lacking is that the body go with that. The resurrection changes eternity from a concept to a living reality. And all the while we sense the encouragement, soon we will be with him. One more thing about the resurrection. We know that the resurrection of Jesus is evidence of our resurrection. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4 verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. Or if we think about 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we know that the resurrection of Jesus is called the first fruit of our resurrection. We will be raised exactly as he was. And that brings me back to the widow of Leonid Brezhnev, who stood before his coffin, who had lived his life as an atheist, and then in a desperation of the moment, she made a sign of a cross over his body. I said then that hope dies hard, even though it has no basis for it. She wanted everything at that moment that Christ had to offer. How different it is for those of us who have already received some of the benefits of the resurrection. Even now we have new life. Even now we have assurance of our justification. And now we have all the motivation and encouragement to live life with boldness, knowing that as Christ was raised, so we will also. If you've never received Christ, all this could be yours. John, in the end, what you're talking about is the assurance of our eternity. There's all kinds of things we can hope about, but this provides assurance. Yeah, how easy it is. I mean, I, I'm certainly not wanting to criticize anyone who's just hoping like crazy that there's something after death. I mean, you know, sometimes it even becomes very, very precious to us when we, you know, uh, a loved one passes away or something of that nature. The, the wonderful news of the gospel is there's more than simply hoping against hope. There is an assurance that you can have right now that the life of the resurrection can be given in you and you can pass over from life into death even now. That's the hope of the gospel. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. For anyone seeking to know God or to understand the Bible and how it can be applied to your daily life, Back to the Bible Canada provides trustworthy Bible teaching resources addressing relevant questions of life and faith. If you believe in the importance of sharing the Word of God across our nation, perhaps you'd consider offering a financial gift to support Back to the Bible Canada this month. Or consider even becoming a member of our 1119 Fellowship, our monthly giving program. Your regular gift ensures that the daily Bible teaching program you're hearing right now is heard in your community and across the country. Your gift of any amount allows the Word of God to reach those searching for truth. 
To send a one-time gift or to become an 1119 monthly partner, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.